Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors and over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. This God-shaped void that rests at the center of our soul, only God can fill it. That's the bottom line. Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. For today's Core Truth, let's jump right into our study in the book of Luke chapter 7. Well, we're going to find our text in Luke chapter 7. I entitled this message, Filling the void. Filling the void. See, one thing that all of humanity has in common, every man and every woman, is we all have a God-shaped void right at the epicenter of our hearts. It's never satisfied. And when you think it's full, it's only a matter of time before you realize, wow, it's not full. I've realized this several times in my life. One of those times, I was about, I don't know, 22, 23 years old, and I had bought a ATC 250R water pumper. It was the trickiest off-road ATV ever built up to that point. I had a custom Bill's pipe put on it, porting done by Rob Selvey. I used to race flat track and TT with him. He was now doing the porting for factory Honda. I had a CR500 carburetor on it. I went out to Glamis. That's the Imperial Sand Dunes. I was racing everybody up competition hill and the first day I was king of that hill no one could take me down and there was a lot of people out there and then of course the second day started feeling pretty good about myself I went out there and then all of a sudden this little girl pulls up she could barely reach the foot pegs on this totally tricked out Kawasaki and I'm thinking like well listen I'm the king of the hill so I'm sorry I'm gonna have to spoil your your day little girl but you know it's what you do when you're king of the hill and that is until we both hit the gas and I watched her blow by me uh, as a little 10 year old if she was even that it seemed like oh my goodness what just happened it's like pop my bubble my satisfaction was so fleeing it was like gone you know what what could I do at this point I mean, like, how how can I make my bike faster? How much money would it cost? And how long would that last before I was outgunned once again? Yes, in life, satisfaction can be so fleeing in everything. Like when you ladies wake up on the, you know, frumpy side of the bed. I know it doesn't happen often, but in the event when it does, and you decide, you know, you need a new hairstyle. Maybe you want to go out and color your hair a different color. You want to do a makeover at Sephora. You know, you shop for a new outfit and you feel great. You feel wonderful about yourself. You, you're walking in the mall. You, you stop at the mirror and you look at yourself a few extra times. You know, all of these things and you feel great for, well, a day or two. Then you're back to you again. 
Yes, we all have our moments where everything seems to be going our way. We get the new job. We got a promotion. Uh, we're able to buy a new car. Uh, we furnish our home the way that we dreamed of. Uh, you know, we get, you know, we raised a bar and are working out and we went a little farther this time. We did a little more. We pumped a little more weight with all of these things. We exceeded our own goals. Yes, there are days when we think that everything in life is going our way that we might even feel like we have it all, feeling totally satisfied, feeling full and complete. Yet in time, it was no longer enough. Like all of a sudden, I'm back to where I was. And we seem like we need something else all over again. It's a crazy thing here in America. People crave to be seen. People crave to be noticed. We crave to make more money thinking that somehow fame and fortune will bring satisfaction and joy. And now, with the increase of violence and crime and the rising cost of simply living, wow, look at what's happening around us. It's just everything is just changing, and it's always not for the good. So whether you've been born on the right side of the tracks or maybe you were born on the wrong side of the tracks, whether you're eating off of a golden platter or you're just eating off of a paper plate, we all have this God-shaped void that rests at the center of our soul and only God can fill it. That's the bottom line. Success can't buy it. Notoriety can't find it. Traveling the world cannot locate it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with his income. This too is vanity, meaning it's emptiness. And who wrote that? King Solomon, who happened to be the wisest and richest man that ever lived. He didn't have gold by the ounce. He didn't have gold by the pound. He had gold by the hundreds of tons is how much gold he had. Yes, he was the richest man. Well, if you're anything like me, the first time I heard a verse like that, it just, I had to scratch my head as I wondered, well, how could you not be satisfied if you had everything that you ever dreamed of? But just like Solomon learned, so has everyone else who's come after him. Know this, we were created in the image of God. You and me, created in God's image. We have been created to know God first and foremost. That's the only thing that will fill that void that he shaped within us because it's deep within our spiritual DNA. Understand, every single man and woman was created with this void in the center of our soul. That's why we all have an unrest inside of us. Nobody will ever find total satisfaction until you come into that real and viable relationship with the living God. Yet many people will pay little attention to God. Why is that? Because many don't even think he exists. It's amazing how people will just not think there is, there's no God. They'll just say, no, we just all happened on our own. But the Bible says that they are without excuse if they say there is no God. For God is behind this outrageous thing that we call creation. He is the one that designed every aspect of it. Considered Bernard Palissy, he is considered the man who figured out the earth's hydrologic cycle in the 16th century. 
Some of you might say, well, what's the hydrologic cycle? Well, that's when the water from the oceans evaporates into the clouds. You know, we're two-thirds water here on planet Earth. So the water evaporates out of the oceans, goes up into the clouds, which is then carried by the wind currents across the planet. And that's what God uses to hydrate the planet with uh, rain coming from those clouds. Then the water runs, what, into streams, whether it dumps snow on mountains, it runs into streams, into rivers, and eventually it makes its way back into the ocean. That's the hydrologic system. And then it repeats itself again. Yes, man figured that out in the 16th century. But yet God had already told us about it, about how he would hydrate our planet way back in the oldest book of the Bible. Listen to Job 36, 27. At the New Living Translation, it says, God draws up the water vapor and then he distills it into rain and then the rain pours down from the clouds and everyone benefits. We're also told in Ecclesiastes by Solomon, chapter one, verse seven, he says, again, rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Again, evaporates up into the clouds, transported over all the earth, and then drops down and then runs into the rivers and back into the ocean again. Yes, God created the heavens and the earth and all that's in them. He spoke them literally into existence. Then there is a divine intelligence behind every bird that flies. Think about that. Every piece of fruit that we eat, every person sitting next to you. And guess what all three of those have in common? The bird, the piece of fruit, and the person sitting next to you. We've all been created with a complex program genetic system. We all have a DNA that's inside of us. Yes, there is a an incredible amount of forethought and intelligence behind creation. Understand, there is a God. And many still wonder, well, where is he then? Well, the Bible says this, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, look at the creation itself and it screams of the glory of God. He says that in Romans chapter one, verse 20. Some people will look at a, you know, and say, well, where's the forest? I can't see it because all the trees are in the way. Well, uh, excuse me, the trees, that is the forest, okay? So when you're looking and say, well, the sun comes up every day. Well, actually the sun doesn't come up. The sun stays in one place. We're rotating around it in a, you know, orbit that's 520 million miles long. And we're traveling around it. And you see how the perfection of everything. How in the world did that just happen? I mean, you know, you sit there and you look like, geez, what does it take to make a tissue come out of a box like that? And the next one's all ready to come out. Look at that. It's all ready to come out. Do you think that just happened by itself? Do you think they took some wood chips and threw them in a corner? And after a million years, a tissue came out of it? No. There was a lot of intelligence that had to go by on how do you make something so thin How do you put it in a box where they all stack, where you can pull one out and the next one's ready to come out? Do you know how much it takes to design a machine to make these things in such quantity that you can buy a box of tissues for a buck and a half? How in the world does that happen? It's because someone planned it. Do you not think that your body that has eyes to see, a nose to smell, a tongue to taste, an ear to hear, a mind that can comprehend us communicating in a language together, do you think that all happened on on its own? 
where it takes massive intelligence to make a stinking tissue. So, you know, the point is, there's a God. It's all around us. You just have to open your eyes and see. Yet many scientists believe that somehow the earth just created itself. What others realize there has to be a divine intelligence behind everything that we see. I wonder what you believe. I wonder what those around you believe, you know? I wonder if the God of creation could be seen in your life to those around you, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah that the Bible talked about, that Jesus is not some fairy tale or make-believe character. Jesus is a historical figure, and he really did what he did, and he died on the cross for you and me. He claimed to be the living God in human form who was brutally bludgeoned and beaten to death, crucified for the sin of all creation. Again, why? Because humanity is in desperate need of a savior. Humanity has a desperate need inside to fill a void that nothing in this life can fill. That's why many will search for the real meaning of life. They're like wondering, like, well, why do we exist? What is our purpose? Is there something more to this life? Well, we're going to look at a man and a woman. Both of them, you know, came into contact with Jesus on the very same night. One had it all, while the other seemed to have absolutely nothing. Yet they both were in serious need of Jesus. Yet only one of them knew it. So they both had the same radical need, but only one of them knew it. One was a well-known religious leader. And the other one, well, she was a common prostitute who was just burned out on life. Talk about being polar opposites of society. At first glance, many would think that the religious leader would be walking in total harmony with Jesus, the Messiah. Well, the prostitute would be considered as nothing more than, well, a common tramp. Yet looks can be deceiving and even misleading. We're going to consider three points in light of our title, Filling the Void. Number one, looking for love. That was a prostitute. She had been looking for love her whole life. But unfortunately, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. Number two, knowing the truth. Oh, the religious leader, he was a Pharisee. He was an intelligent man. Oh, and he knew many truths in his head. It didn't do anything to help him, but he did understand truth. And number three, finding forgiveness. Only one of the two found it. Well, let's look at our first point, looking for love, as we read together here in Luke chapter 7, picking up in verse 36, it says, Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, this is Jesus, to dine with him. Hey, come to my house for dinner. And he, Jesus, he came, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner in steps the prostitute and when she learned that he jesus was reclining at the table of the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them 
with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, he's just thinking this, if this man, Jesus, was a prophet like he somehow claims to be, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner, nasty. Well, first, of all, we notice Jesus just freely went where he was invited. And in this case, he was invited to dinner at the home of this man named Simon, who was a religious Pharisee. Now, as you know, a Pharisee was one of the highest sects of religious leadership of this time, meaning this man was is extremely influential. Yes, this man, his name was Simon. He was a man of power. He was a man of prestige. His motives for asking Jesus to enter his home for a meal were only self-serving, though. For chapter 6 tells us that the Pharisees, this religious group, were looking for ways to accuse Jesus. Why do they want to get Jesus out of here? Well, Jesus was like a renegade to them. He just doesn't dress in the fancy robes. You know, he doesn't do the things the way we do. He doesn't wash his hands before he eats. It's like, what is with this guy? He's out there healing people and people are flocking to them. See, you could say that the religious leaders at this point had a stranglehold on the people. You will only come to God when we allow you to come to God. We will give you all the rules and regulations. You must be vaccinated. Oh, I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. Okay. And it's like, so all of these things, you know, you must be, you must be, and it will only happen the way that we do it. And then you'll be okay. Jesus is like, no, anyone can come to the Lord. You just come unto me. All you that are heavy laden and burdened down, and I will give you rest. It's like, whoa, everything just changed. They didn't like that. People were flocking to Jesus. What did they say after Jesus got done with his longest message that's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount? The people said, oh my goodness, he speaks as one as having authority. He doesn't speak like the religious leaders. Like we can understand him. Like he tells us a story. We get exactly what he's saying. It's like they were drawn to Jesus. The religious leaders felt their stranglehold being torn from their hands. Yes, there are many that will embrace some form of religion because it makes me feel good. It kind of justifies me. I can go do my own thing during the week and then I'll go and do my little religious duty on Sunday and I feel better. So people will, will adhere to a form of religion, but they deny the true power behind it. Maybe some of you here even consider yourself religious. Maybe some of you watching online consider yourself religious here, and you you have your certain beliefs and, and what have you. Maybe you've grown up in a mainline denomination. I was sharing with a young man on the airplane uh, for about an hour, and he, you know, he had grown up in a mainline denomination, but my question to him was, do you know Christ? Are you born again? If you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? So let me ask you, do you really know God? Have you really personally asked Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior? How secure are you in your beliefs? Do you know that you know if your sin is forgiven? 
Are you sure? If you were to die today, do you know that you know that you would go to heaven? Just asking a question. Because these things you need to know. See, I know those things. I know that I'm going to heaven. It's like, well, you're just a little arrogant. I'm, I'm not being arrogant. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a pastor. I'm going to heaven not because I share my faith with people. I'm going to heaven not because I try to do good. I'm going to heaven not because of anything that my life has done. I'm going to heaven because of what he did for me. I gave my life to him because he bore my sin on his body. Me being a pastor, me doing good works has nothing to do with me getting to heaven. It has everything to do with the finished work of Christ on the cross. But getting back to our text here, the outrageous begins to unfold as this prostitute enters in to the house of this influential religious leader. She's a a harlot. She's a woman of scorn. She's despised by her own culture. You know, considered by many as having absolutely no earthly value. So you got to get the picture here. We've got a, a nice house. Now, maybe for lunch, Jesus was down in South Central hanging out in some broken down house with some people having a Taco Bell burrito, okay? But now he's up in Beverly Hills in a very nice house because this influential, wealthy religious leader invited him. So now he's up there in Beverly Hills. And so they're sitting down. Now here you have many other guests that have been invited here. So the house is full. There's people all around the table. And this woman comes up to the door, sees Jesus. Someone told me he's here. There he is. She bolts in. Prostitute. Scum of the earth. Boom. Lands at Jesus' feet and starts weeping. So you get the picture. We're in Beverly Hills. We're not in South Central anymore. She was broken. In her desperation, it drove her to her knees as she wept at Jesus' feet. She longed for deliverance. Why? From what? For the same reason that our hearts are broken at times. She was filled with guilt and shame of her life. How did she get to this point? She was seeking for what seemed to be completely out of her reach because she's fallen so far. She's done so much bad. Like, is she passed the point of no return? Many would say yes. She was looking for forgiveness. She was looking for another chance. She was like, is there any way I could start over again? My life, I've destroyed it. I've I've completely destroyed my life. Her heart could no longer hold back her pain. And it just burst out in tears as she opened a bottle of perfume, maybe the only valuable thing she had in her life. And she poured it and washed Jesus' feet. And then she had her hair and she wiped his feet with her hair. Verse 39 states that Simon said to himself, so he's just sitting there just thinking like, yeah, what is going on here? Who let that tramp through the door in the first place? And then he said to himself, like, you know, if this Jesus was a prophet, if he was sent from God, wouldn't he know what kind of a nasty girl this was? Not so fast, Simon. You have greatly 
underestimated your invited guest because he already knows what you're thinking right now. I wonder if we are as quick to judge others as Simon was. Quick to point our finger at someone who's just lower than us. Quick to be critical of the way they're living their life, yet always justifying and excusing our own shortcomings and our own sin. Or maybe you wish, you know, like this woman... Maybe you'd like to like, oh, I just wish I could find where Jesus was having dinner tonight. I would fall at his feet also. And I would pour my tears of sin and pain all over his feet. Because you're tired of carrying the weight of your guilt and your shame. Understand, today, if that's you, you can embrace God's forgiveness. You can leave this place today with a new lease on life. That's all the time we have for our message today. Please join us next time for part two of this study in Luke chapter 7. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at corechurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. 